This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharif Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Lily Ebert is a Holocaust survivor. Incarcerated in Auschwitz at the age of 20, she promised herself that if she survived, she would tell her story to the world. During the COVID lockdown in 2020, Lillian and her great-grandson, Dov Foreman, decided on TikTok as a new platform to get to a different audience. It worked. Lily has now more than 1.6 million followers and over 23 million likes for a post of how she survived the Holocaust. Lily, who is based in London, will be our virtual guest for our upcoming Yom HaShoah or Holocaust Memorial Day on the Thursday, the 28th of April, where she will be in conversation with the Vice President of the Jewish Board of Deputies, Mary Cluck. Mary is also the Director of the Durban Holocaust and Genocide Centre. Mary joins me now to tell me more. Mary, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Cherise. Lovely to be here as always. Mary, you met Lily. Tell us more about it. I did. <laughs> It was a wonderful highlight for me. Um, I always joke about telling my kids that some people collect soccer cards and film stars cards. I collect cards of Holocaust survivors. They are the most inspiring people around. So I had the privilege of interviewing Lily and her grandson, Dolph, for the purposes of our Yoma Shoah uh, program. She's 97 and as fabulous as ever. I mean, I didn't know her before, but we wanted her originally, both of them, to come to South Africa. And that was a year ago. We started corresponding with them. But her granddaughter, Nina, Dorf's mom, was saying it's just too difficult. They were discussing the possibility, but it's, it's really just too much of a challenge with all the health uncertainties that are sort of around COVID still. But don't think she wasn't sort of up for the charge and enthusiastic and sorry not to be there. Maybe next year. That's what I love. The truth is, if COVID has taught us anything, it's that um, technology is available to ensure that we can get what we want, if not best, at least second best. So tell us a little bit about Lily's story, Mary. It's an incredible story. And she's obviously going to share a little bit in, in the video and the interview that I that I um, did with her. But I mean, what is remarkable is that she's had the, I don't know, you know, we always try and find that what is that ingredient that helps people? What in, And they all speak about luck a little bit, you know, you need luck in life. But um, she has this beautiful story about a little necklace. And it's honestly a little delicate gold chain with a tiny little picture of an engraving of an angel, but tiny. And she talks about how her brother before they left and were and they didn't know where they were going. And I think that's part of what is so incredible. They had no knowledge, as we all understand, that people who were deported had absolutely no knowledge of where to, what for. As many scholars have written, they expected the worst. They didn't expect the unthinkable. And, and her brother opened the heel of her mother's shoe and put the few little trinkets that they had in the family. So as a child for Shabbat, she used to go to her parents' room and she was always given and her little necklace was put on to her um, as a child. And this was part of the stash, as it were, that her brother sealed and concealed in her mother's heel. And she tells the story of how she has no idea why her mother decided, but just as they were arriving in the cattle car, her mother insisted that they change shoes. They were the same size. She was a woman of Anyway, these little bits survived and she still wears it today. 
And she showed me the little mark of how when her brother was nailing back the shoe, it sort of pierced the, a bit of her little angel. And she showed me how, you know, this is the necklace that she obviously wears to this day. So, I mean, just to hear and for us as a community to hear these extraordinary anecdotes from such a courageous woman is unbelievable. I have goosebumps just listening to that story, Mary. Um, you talk about, you know, how people survive and survivor guilt. Some Holocaust survivors were unable to talk about what happened till very, very late, if at all. And others wanted to share that story from like a promise like she made to herself, if I survived, I will tell the story. Do you think it's a personality or just what determines it? I think it may well have something to do with, you know, but I also also think circumstance. You know, I think we are trying to project why people wouldn't, given the world we live in today. But that world is a very new world in terms of sharing one's, you know, innermost secrets. If you think about how all most cultures, people have very private lives. And I think for most of the survivors, the majority of whom settled in Israel, there was a new world to get on and build. And there was, and you know, your problems, well, who cares about your problems that you had? We've now got current problems and we need to get on and build a, a new beginning for all of us. And I think they got swept. I mean, this is such sweeping generalizations, but to my understanding, there was the sense of almost, well, why would I make a fuss about it? Look at what we're challenged with now. And nobody's really interested in my story. And there was almost, from what I've read and I've read extensively, some sort of cloud of shame to the extent where certain survivors were either guilty that they had survived or guilty that they had ever been in that predicament and that there'd been this perception that why did, you know, this Jew, you know, this lambs to the slaughter, these hideous analogies that were floating around that added to that layer of insecurity about ever sharing. And I think also by the time these survivors got to an age and stage of their lives where they might have had strength. They were now building their own families and didn't want to burden their young children with these really stories of horror. So everybody and, and, and all the scholars, psychologists and Holocaust survivors themselves speak about the Eichmann trial of 1960-61 and his arrest and, and the tr subsequent trial as being a, a real watershed moment where the prosecution for the first time had Holocaust survivors. So it wasn't the history and the facts that was on trial. It was story of, of these actual survivors who shared. And I think that empowered a lot of people. But many to this day have not, and others much more recently. And each one of the stories, whenever they're able to share it, is priceless. You talk about this being a new world, and with a new world comes new technology, and TikTok is one that our youngsters are using. And certainly the place to be, I mean, Tell me a little bit about Dorf, her great-grandson. Dorf is a remarkable young man. I so enjoyed our engagement. I was there while the sort of photographers were setting up and I spent about half an hour chatting with him and his mum and, and obviously with Lily. But Dorf, it was almost a bit of a let's see what happens kind of thing. There was For them, there was as much surprise and delight in the response that they got. There was no expectation that they would reach the numbers that they have, but it's a certainly a, a really winning formula. And I was much more intrigued 
personally about their relationship as a result of this connection. And I, I think I did ask him that in the interview, which I'm sure will be aired. Um, just talking to him and saying, it's a great grandson. He's a 17-year-old scholar, busy with his studies. And when he said, well, he'd love to come to South Africa, but he's busy with his studies. And Lily was like, well, it's a real nuisance that he's got to do this because she would love to at some point come and visit. But that just gives you the context. She's 97. He's a schoolboy. And yet he's a smart, mature and savvy young man who really has seen the value of both social media and had the yearning for this incredible story of his great grandma to be shared. And the, you know, the combination has been, as you've seen and as you mentioned, something quite remarkable. But their relationship, as you can imagine, she is just so every day they speak because he puts out a post every day. So every day, and I might add, she lives on her own in a flat. She spends a lot of time with her children. She sleeps over for Shabbat with her family, but she lives alone with some sort of care, but I wouldn't call it a full-time carer. She's pretty independent, which was remarkable in and of itself. But their relationship is special and the impact they're making is really inspiring and something that I think is hopefully going to hold. If you think about it, we know young people in our community who are really taken with her story. And in fact, if I mention her, Lily and Dorf, that I'd been for this interview, oh yes, they all know about her from TikTok. Do you think this is the way forward in terms of Holocaust memorial and education, Mary? We, um, you run a very beautiful, moving museum, um, one of my favourites, actually. And to what extent do you think that we need to be looking at more modern kinds of uh, communication? And to what extent do you think traditional kinds of edu education are still needed? I think education, traditional forms of education, always interaction, you know, there's, there's a whole move towards you know, digital education. I don't know how quickly we should be getting rid of the classroom and that really close interactive space. We've seen through the COVID pandemic at the center attempts, and admittedly it was, you know, technology was new and schools were struggling for all sorts of obvious reasons in any case. And so we've seen how the flurry of schools to come back in the last six weeks, now that we are getting back to some sort of normalcy, because there is no replacement for that interactive, engaging, really meaningful opportunity to engage with the exhibition and um, the classroom experience. But, and this is what I wanted to share, which is really exciting, our classroom experience now, for the first time, we've entered into a partnership, as have our sister centres in Cape Town and Johannesburg, with Shoah Foundation. And we now have, I'm not sure if you're aware of, it's called Dimensions and Testimony, and it's the hologram. A hologram, um, you've interviewed, I think, on the show, Pinchas Gutter. And Pinchas and almost 20 other Holocaust survivors have now been through this rigorous process of with 100 lights, they've had thousands of questions asked of them, and they are interactive experiences that are digital. So every group that comes to our center after their sort of the theoretical aspect and the and the exhibition uh, tour, they spend time interacting with Pinchas and asking him questions. And we've seen the most extraordinary responses. We actually wrote to Pinchas the other day with a list of the, the response, you know, the reactions from students and how they are completely and utterly mesmerized. The opportunity to meet a Holocaust survivor is obviously dwindling. And the challenge of what to do next has been uppermost on many people's minds. But Stephen Smith and his wife, Heather, 
from the Shoah Foundation challenged this 10, 15 years ago and started this, what seemed like an out of space idea to create this hologram. And now they're, it's actually available online. And so we have it on our projector and kids take the microphone. Pinchas, do you believe in God? Pinchas, and, and he answers them. And it's just, it's, it's absolutely thrilling to watch. So I think it's a combination. It's a combination of the classroom experience being guided because as we all know, knowledge for knowledge sake is, is a waste of time. It's what we do with that knowledge, how we do good with that knowledge. And that's how you, you get that through being sensitized in a way that I don't believe technology can necessarily do that. Yet, in this circumstance, all three of our centers are now giving young people the opportunity to actually engage with a Holocaust survivor in a sort of tech way that has got a lot of appeal for them, given the world that they've been raised in. We have to leave it there, but I just want to give the details of the ceremony. Uh, it is taking place on Thursday, the 28th of April at the Martyrs Monument at the West Park Cemetery at 11.45. That's the ceremony in um, Johannesburg. There will be obviously ceremonies in Cape Town and Durban as well. Mary, thank you. Yes? No, I was going to say the Durban ceremony will take place on the same day at 5 p.m. at the Durban Jewish Centre, if I might just put that in. Mary, I'm looking forward to meeting virtually Lily. Thanks, Cherise. Thank you so much. That was Mary Cluck, the Vice President of the SAJBD, as well as the Director of the, of the Durban Holocaust and Genocide Centre.